0: Hello and welcome to Gascast. This episode is a special Chat With episode with none other than The Duke. And this episode is sponsored by Kahuna Flooring once again who supply and fit all types of flooring for your home or workplace. Steve comes to you with a sample selection service and offers deals on supplied and fitted carpets, vinyls, LVT, engineered wood and more. And I have to say, Steve does a better job of flooring than David Pipe on a night out, so he must be pretty good. Get in touch with Steve today on 07917 seven, and mention Gascast to receive 10% off all orders. Now, over to Duke's chat with Duke. Enjoy. <laughs> There are many legendary Dukes in the world. The Duke of Lancaster, the Dukes of Hazard, the pianist Duke Ellington, Duke DeMont, Duke Newcomb, me. But none of them, I mean none of them, come even close to the man appearing on Gascast today. He arrived at Rovers as a 17-year-old from non-league, scored 44 times for the gas, and scored a famous hat-trick in the FA Cup against Premier League opposition. I'm pleased to welcome Nathan, Duke Ellington welcome to the show Nate. how are you doing? I'm good thanks I'm really good thanks for having me on board, Mate it's an absolute pleasure it's great to get my namesake (laughs) on here I mean first of all I was named Duke after the video game Duke Nukem but obviously with uh, your time playing at the gas and being fondly nicknamed Duke I kind of got given that as well so Duke, it's lovely to, to meet you as well, Chief.
1: It's just nice to meet someone with the same nickname as me.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so how did that nickname come about? Obviously, there's the, the famous pianist, Duke Ellington. That was did, the one. Yeah. Did, did you get given that nickname before Rovers, or was it the gas yeah. faithful that um, cottoned it? No, so I was at um,
1: Walton and Hersham. So it was a semi-professional team that I was playing at, at the time, uh, where I got bought from. And um, the manager there he was calling me duke and i didn't know why i was just wondering why is he calling me duke and um, and then i got told oh, it's because of the jazz musician you know it's, it's him so like, oh, okay and then all of a sudden when i got to bristol rovers people were still saying it so i didn't know how they got it. it they must have come through the newspaper somewhere and someone understood it to be you know a name that they wanted to keep going with so it just stuck with me ever since to be fair
0: yeah, I mean, football fans aren't typically known for being into their jazz, so it's quite, quite a left field one, I'd say. <laughs> Do you listen to his music at all? No, no,
1: I did obviously have a look and see what what it was all about, but um, yeah, I, that's not really my genre. So <laughs> I just um, checked it out and thought, okay, no problem. It's cool. It's a cool name to have and, and where it originated from. So yeah, I'll take it
0: yeah did that like instill a bit of confidence getting like a nickname so early on in your rover's career?
1: you know it's it's something you don't really think about until like further down the line and then you realize like not many people have a nickname, <laughs> so it's like I'm a bit privileged here to have a nickname, and most of us don't so I was just happy that that was the case really and um it was something that would made it unique for me so
0: yeah, so how did the, the move to Rovers come about? You said then you're playing in, in non-league. Was it yeah. Ian Holloway that, that got in touch, or, or how yeah. did it progress?
1: Yeah, so I was playing at Bolton and Hersham. I got into the first team um, from playing in the youth team the season before with a few of my friends, and um, we had a really good team. And um, one of my friends, Gavin Holligan, he went off to West Ham, and the, but I went into the first team. And uh, what happened was I, I started playing, get coming on and getting goals. And then all of a sudden, I started starting games. And um, it, was, it wasn't long until I think it was a game against Sutton United. And we we're playing there. And I was told that there's around 20 scouts there watching. Um, and, and I was thinking, okay, this is great. This is getting fun now. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to get that move soon. And uh, after that game, I'm not even sure if I scored, but I was told straight after that game, um, Brissa Rovers are in for me. And, um, you know, would I like to go? And uh, when I got to meet with him, with Ian Holloway, um, he just told me the story of, he went there, he'd heard a lot about me as a striker and all of that. And um, all he needed, he needed 20 minutes. Um, after 20 minutes, he decided, that's it. I've, I've made up my mind. And he says one thing that really made the difference was a long ball over over the top. And um, it was coming to me, but the defender cut it out, but I still made the action to volley it in. So I was anticipating it still coming to me. And he said, that's, that's all I wanted to see. I already knew you scored goals, but with that, that's something that a lot of people don't have, you know, they react, they don't anticipate. And he goes, that's a great trait to have in a striker. And, um, I'm definitely happy to take you just because of that. So it's a bit of an eye opener because as a youngster, you don't really understand what that means until I get to the end of my career and I realise these little things are the things that you look out for when you're looking for a player of a certain type. So yeah.
0: So did that come naturally to you? I mean, when you were even younger as as a child growing up, did you play any academy football at all?
1: No, I didn't play um, much football. Until I was year nine in school, so that's like two years before. So about from fifteen, I I was a youngster, so I was one of the youngest in school. So I was nearly sixteen, so I would have been fourteen. Um, so about thirteen, fourteen, I started playing football, um, for a team, and played Sunday League. I went. I had a few brief spells on trial, uh, because my manager from the Sunday League he brought he sent me down to. Crystal Palace, to train there. I trained there for a little bit. Um, and then I also went to Millwall during my time at Orton and Hersham. So that was a club that I thought I was maybe going to go to. But I did really well there, but they didn't take me on. So I was really a product of non-league and a product of just raw talent, really. There's, there's no, no um, football IQ ingrained into me apart from what I, what I just watched on TV.
0: Yeah, and you joined Rovers at a young age. I believe you were 17 when you joined us. And for a fee, considering you came from non-league, £150,000, which at that time is, is a fair bit of money. Was it a no-brainer to join Rovers, or, or were there other sides interested in you as well?
1: Um, so basically, um, that was a record fee at the time. <laughs> so it was, um, it was something I didn't really take notice of because it wasn't me that needs to um, that that really obviously I'm not the one that they're paying me. they're not paying me the money to go and yeah. play they're paying paying the other clubs. So for me it was just a thing of, okay, I didn't realise it, I didn't think about it. I just thought I'm going there to play football. I'm going there to enjoy my football. And um, to be honest, I don't remember I don't remember anybody else that you know, being in for me that early. Because as as you know, you, you've got a manager who has an eye. Ian Holloway, they have an eye for capturing these players before they basically go so good that everybody else goes and buys them. That's their aim. So, it was one of them things where he caught me early, found me, and just took me in. And as you know, Bristol Rovers already had Bobby Zamora, Jason Roberts, Jamie Cura, and Barry Hales just left. He had other players who had left already. So, there's a conveyor belt of what they've already done and produced. So, I was just another one of those. So, yeah.
0: So before Ian Holloway got in contact with you and, and said how much he admired you as a player, did you feel like you could make it into league football? Because as you say, you weren't like an academy graduate. You playing non-league. Was the sky the limit, or were you just happy playing at that level?
1: No, to be fair, um, when I was at school, I had this. It was just short of arrogance. It's like it's um it's confidence that you're just gonna make it and when I think back now is like I'm gonna become a football player I, I always felt I was the best player and I always walked around like that that was just my mindset of I'm the best I went to my I went to a new school at year 10 and the day I walked in I said I'm the best football player <laughs> and it was like people saying what's this guy doing come here saying he's the best and he's just walked through the door who's he think he is kind of thing and we became good friends but it's like That's the kind of talk that I used to say. And I think it's just that air of confidence that I'm going to make it. And it's just a matter of time. And um, I even remember giving two of my friends in in my form class a piece of paper. Um, At the the time, it was like a thousand pounds, a lot of money. I'd never seen that kind of money as a youngster. And um, I wrote two IOUs to my friends. I said, listen, you don't think I'll become a football player but Here you go. Here's a thousand pounds. When I become a football player, you can redeem this. Just keep hold of it. If you've got it, I'll pay you. If you don't, I'm not paying you. And then down the line, they didn't have it. So, <laughs> the oh, they, end, uh, oh, they lost it, so,
0: so they didn't manage to redeem it. No, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> absolutely it a, savage.
1: It's a funny story, but you know, it was something that just the proof that I had that feeling of I'm gonna make it, and um, you know, I just. It just w- went towards it and that was it it's like my mindset was there and i'm working towards it and that was it um it's weird because um it's, it's like it's not even it wasn't even a, a case of maybe it was just that's where i'm going i'm gonna become a pro and that's it so and it just you know thankfully it, it, it came true
0: yeah and, and watching you play it certainly rubbed off rubbed off on the pitch i mean there was that Infamous afternoon in Derby, where you had a phenomenal game. You scored a hat trick. We will touch on that a bit later. But it looked like you you owned the pitch and like was not overruled by it at all. And I suppose that confidence thing, especially for a striker, and and that potentially a little bit of arrogance is is a big part of the striker role. Would you say?
1: Definitely. It's, um, I think. A lot comes down to um, obviously the confidence side and having to have that because if you don't have that, you, you're not going to be the, the best you can be. Uh, the mentality side really takes you, it can even take you higher than your ability sometimes. It's weird. It's, 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 maybe that's not the right words to explain it, but you can play. You know, like what you can see, even when you play FIFA and games like that, you've got um, their ability levels, but then when they're playing well, They're playing above their stats. And that's basically what happens in real life. And as long as you can keep that mentality that you are superior to the players you're playing against, you feel like that, you can continue doing that. And the people who can continue that and consistently, they end up being the best players out there. And that's what I felt like. And even playing in that game at Derby, um, you know, I grew up watching the Italian League watching English league, but I'm watching Ravinelli. Rabinelli's there with the, you know, this, with this, with the, with his gray hair. I watched him growing up. So when I got to play it was a great feeling like, wow, I'm playing against him now and their premiership. So I got to play like I'm, I always played like I'm the, the, the people. So growing up, my thought was, let me take the good things out of every player. So I remember he used to, you know, we had um, Del Piero, for example. I loved him for his technical ability. So I always used to say, I'm going to play this ball pinpoint on my friend's head, you know, 30 yards away. Left foot, right foot, I'm going to ping this penalty in the top corners because he always used to do it. So that was a thing that I would pretend that I was Del Piero on the pitch. And it made me better, technically. And then you got like Shearer. I used to think, wow, this guy scores headers, left foot, right foot. So I used to think of him as power header, the king of power headers and stuff. I used to jump up, I'm Shearer, <laughs> and I'd score headers like him. So I used to take things off everyone. Beckham had them free kicks when he first came through, where he's standing 90 degrees, and I was like, okay, I'm going to stand 90 degrees, and I'm going to keep taking free kicks until I can like, hit them like him. So it's just everybody. Like Ronaldo, he's my main player, uh, R9, the Brazilian. He's my favourite player of all time. I think he's the best player of all time if you talk about a person on their own. In terms of body of work, obviously, it's not going to be him. But the way I worked out was he runs 100 miles an hour with the ball stuck to his foot. So what I did is I went on the park and I dribbled 100 miles an hour with the ball stuck to my foot everywhere trying to make sure that I'm going as fast as I can with the ball still under great control with left foot and right foot. So... I just tried to mesh everything that I saw in all these top players into myself and tried to become like this all-round player. And um, I think it really helped because I was able to dribble with left foot, hit the ball just as hard left foot. I could curl the ball, do everything with both feet. And that's what made me, me really, instead of being dependent on, on one foot.
0: Yeah, so you're a real student of the game. So what was it like training with the likes of Jason Roberts and Jamie Curiton then? Did, did you learn a lot from them?
1: Oh, I learned so much. Because um, imagine I'm coming from non-league and I don't know the game. I don't know the game at all. I don't know how to look over my shoulder without getting dizzy. <laughs> and when I turn back around, knowing what's still in front of me after I've looked behind me yeah, and how to actually process what I've looked behind me to do next. It, it, I didn't know any of that stuff. Also, I was a good you know, I was good at shooting the ball, but the, the actual the craft of scoring goals properly, like curling balls and shooting from the right angles and the right type of shots, it's like choosing the right golf club at the right times. I didn't know any of that stuff. So although I had a much more powerful shot than pretty much everyone, when we'd come to finishing, they'd be slotting the ball past the keeper all the time and I'd be wondering how are they doing this and how comes I can't do it when I've got, I feel like I've got a better shot, but they're always scoring more than me. So I end up learning a lot from them by how they curl the ball, their body positioning, how they're scoring different types of goals from different areas. And um, I used to think Jason Roberts, he's the king of right foot side foots because that's what he used to do and nobody can stop it. He gets through on goal, it's a right foot side foot. And every time he used to score a goal, I used to call him up and have a chat with him and say, "I bet it was a right foot, side foot. I ain't even seen the goal, but I bet it was a right foot, side foot." So, there's them kind of things. I learned a lot from Jamie Curian because um, there's there's goals that he used to score out of the blue. I remember once where the ball just bounced, and he is about the same distance as me. I'm on the, I'm in the dugout, and the ball bounces somewhere around that area near the middle of the pitch, and he just turns and volleys it. And it nearly goes in. I was like, how? Okay, you can score from these places. Okay. Then 10 minutes later, he done it and then he scored. I think it was against Stoke or someone. It's just a half volley from nowhere, beats the keeper. And I was like, this kid can score. He can score. He was one of the best finishes I've ever seen. And um, I learned a lot from, from the type of goals he scores and the angles he scored from, made me realize I can do the same and I can try and, again, it's something I copied now from him tried to take it into my game. The right foot, side foot, side, and I copied from Jason, tried to take it into my game. So anything I saw, it was all about how can I take that in my game and bring my football IQ up. Um, so, yeah, I learned a whole load from, from those two, um, obviously as strikers um, quite a lot. And I learned the most, to be honest, I got the one person that taught me the most about being a striker and what to do was um, Gary Penrice.
0: I was just about to ask you about name. Gary Penrice. So yeah, he yeah. often gets overlooked because obviously Holloway was this incredible character, but he'd done so much work with the strikers. How important was he in the development of your game?
1: He was instrumental in me becoming me, really, because um, I never learned anything from anyone other than him in terms of like the, the fine details of how to do everything. You know, you've got managers who tell you to be better, hold it up better, do this better. But he taught me how to do it better. It's, it's weird. He actually said, he goes, I remember I was in the car with him once, just on a journey somewhere. And um, he was mentioning about these little stories. And he was like, yeah, one thing that's annoying me is this manager was just telling me to be better. But he didn't tell me how. But well, this is what I like to do. I like to teach you how. And um, little things to get yourself out of trouble in different corners, how to hold off players, side on. He, He had me after the game, me and Bobby, the amount of times after training, he had us together, just playing balls up to us where we can get hold of it, hold it up, lay it back and spin and stuff like that. And that there on its own, like controlling it outside of your foot while you're on the turn so people can't get hold of it, can't, you know, nick the ball, the defender can't nick it. All that stuff he gave it and he taught it and he, and he basically drilled it into us hours after, you know, after training and on a daily basis, we'd get all of that stuff. And then it's about then taking it into the situations and then knowing when to call on that skill and use it in a real game. So it was really, really um, good.
0: Yeah. And obviously we got to speak about Ollie as well. Um, you talk about when he signed you and that he had a lot of confidence in you. Did you two have a good relationship? And, and what was he like to work with?
1: He's a great guy, great guy. As soon as you meet him, you know, he's a person you can instantly like. And um, his enthusiasm, energy, totally rubs off on me straight away. And uh, it rubs off on everyone. You can see how you know, enthusiastic he is about the game. And he was a player manager at the time as well. So I was to play with him as well. And um, he knew how to manage players, I think. Um, you could see he was always thinking of how to bring the best out of his players, according to their character as well. So to be honest, he was a great manager that I love playing for and um, always made sure I had the confidence going out on that pinch to express myself, how I am just as the person I am and the player he bought, he wanted me to express myself. And and that is really saying something because a lot of places I've been, you know, uh, it's not been like that, where you're not able to express yourself how you want or how you know you can be. Um, and he allowed that. And, um, you know, that's why he brought play- um, players for them them kind of roles. It's, some manage they buy players that are good, but don't fit their system and expect them to still be good. Now, that's a sign of a good manager who knows what he wants in what team. And that's why you have people like Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, who are so good they can bring in a player who you think might be average but he's actually excelling in one thing which is needed for the whole the whole picture of the whole team and I think that's what Ian Holloway was really good at finding the right players for the right positions that do the job that exactly what he wants and um, that's why you you know you have a man that's been as successful as he has.
0: Yeah, and he's a manager who loves to play attacking football as well. And, and as a striker yourself, he you loves to score goals, what was it like playing in such a attacking, creative team? Well, in the early days, at least.
1: Yeah, well, even when we, you know, even when we had our struggles, we were we were playing to to to, to get as many goals as possible, and, and and you know, play the best football as possible. So, it's always a good thing to to be in and around a team like that, and um, obviously. Early days, it was watching Jason uh, and, and and Jamie Curran, and basically Mark Walters killing it down the, down the wings as well. Um, learning a lot from these guys, um, David Hillier in the centre midfield, Ronnie Mourget, who came and became a midfield general. Um, absolutely amazing players to play around as well because it helped with the character side of things, knowing different characters and and having them, you know, I guess you call them captains, a few captains within the team pushing you on to, to get to where you want to go. And, get, and like I said, it's, just, um, it's a breath of fresh air when you've got a manager who just wants to attack and make sure where the best we can be more than just suppressing the other team. And um, I think it's a recipe for success more than anything else, really.
0: And were there certain pros that took you under their wing? Because, I mean, you're a 17-year-old moving to a brand new city in Bristol. I mean, that, could be quite a difficult moment in in your life. Were there certain pros who looked after you?
1: Yeah, to be honest, um when I was leaving home, I just couldn't believe I was leaving home because I never envisioned leaving London at the time. I lived in London. I always, every club I went to, uh, I was, was just a drive away, and you come home to your family, and you and you and you do your thing, and then go back to training, and then you're back home again. I never even thought about clubs outside of England, London, sorry. And um, I made this decision, obviously, because it's a decision I have to make. Um, and it's, it's good for my career. So I was like, I'm going to have to make this jump at 17. Let's do it. And then obviously not knowing what's to come. And the day I get to the training ground, Jason Roberts is there at the front gate waiting for me. So it was really nice to be greeted by... One of the senior players, established players, and um, he was just took me straight in, made me feel so welcome straight away. took me under his wing. We, I moved in with him uh, I guess a few weeks later. Um, but we came to find out that he went to the same school as me a few years before me. So Did um, he really. yeah, so it's Christ School. Um, Mr. Greenwood was my PE teacher and his PE teacher. Also you've got Clinton Morrison who was there. Oh wow. and, uh, I think there was even another player who went there as well. I think Jody Morris might have even went there, but um, it's definitely us three who went there. And um, yeah, and and uh, it was just funny because imagine going to the same club and then being found out that you was at the same school just two years before. So it was nice. It was nice to have him take me under his wing and teach me the ropes, really, of how things are going. Uh, I ended up living with michelle kipers as well where he came at a similar kind of time after jason left i ended up living with him and um that was really that i think that was it really so yeah it was um it was nice it was nice to to get that kind of that kind of help at such an early age
0: yeah and that must have helped uh, help you um hit the ground running so i mean you featured mainly from the bench early doors understandably 17 year olds coming in and obviously you got <laughs> Jamie Curiton and Jason Roberts leading line, quite difficult to break into the sides as a 17-year-old then. But you came off the bench a fair few times and you scored your first professional goal um, when you came on for Curiton in a home game against York. What do you remember yeah. about that?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I remember my first game um, going in through the tunnel and I stood in the tunnel because I was like, it's my first time, there's going to be a lot of people out there. And I just soaked up that feeling because uh, it's like the first time it's a, something like that going out to play in a proper stadium with loads of fans in a proper league game. It was like, wow, this is it. And I was quite nervous. Went on the pitch, um, and then everything's fine after that. You kind of get on with it and feel just like this is amazing. I'm on a stage here, and people are watching me on a stage. Um, So that was great. It was the best feeling ever, to be honest. And and then that York game where, obviously, I've come on and Ian Holloway slides me in down the right and um, I get the ball on the edge of the box, like right on the edge of the box. And I'm like, I look up and I see a chance to take a shot. And I thought, let me swipe this where I can. It's just like a strike swipe. So it curls inside. And I end up keeping it. It's like the, the most sweetest shot I've ever hit. <laughs> it stayed low and then curled into the side netting. So it's like the best shot ever. And then it, it goes in it. And I was like, it's that feeling again of imagining what you're going to do and then just doing it. Just like when I was talking about the players that I used to pretend being. It was that feeling of I'm through. I'm just going to score this here. Bang. And it's in. Oh, my gosh. It's actually happened. So, like, Wow it's done. So yeah, it was, um, it was a great feeling to get off the mark. And then it's kind of like the shackles are completely off. It's not that the shackles were even on, but it was like, that's when, you know, when you first arrive, you always want to get your first goal. Um, so just can relax a bit, kind of that feeling of, okay, I've broken my duck now I can continue on now and go and do, do more damage. And, um, yeah, it was just a great feeling to, to get off the mark in pro football. And, um, just have that feeling of, I can still do what I do even in this stage now. So now it's about learning more about the game and um, understanding how I can help the team more and more as I get better.
0: Yeah. And then your first full season in professional football was the infamous 99, 2000 season. So what a first season to have as a pro footballer so much went on what what are your memories of that campaign
1: if i remember rightly that was the season we got relegated
0: um that that was that was the season before the where we just missed out on promotion when we were flying for the the whole season and then the wheels well and truly came off off. at the end
1: yeah that's when jason roberts and Curitan were starting all the time wasn't it and then i came that was a season where i started I think four games, the four times when Jason Roberts went away on um, international duty, I managed to start. So, and I ended up starting 10 games, four goals, I remember. And then the rest were sub appearances that season. So um, that was a good, that was a really good season. I just couldn't believe we, we managed, we, we you know, the wheels fell off and we didn't manage to, to get where we were were, were heading towards. Um. So yeah, it was a, again it's if you're not getting relegated it's it's better than you know it's it's better than um you know it's better than getting relegated but at the same time it is not a nice feeling of being up there for the majority of the season and then you know ending up the season with nothing to play for and um it was just a, for me it was the learning curve so it was more about getting them games and learning my trade really and them them that first year and a half was really learning under Gary Pan and Ian Holloway and and even Gary Thompson, who came in. Obviously, he was in at that time as well. So between them all, it was because I had not no football IQ. So I remember when I you know came on in games or some games I would start and um, I just turn into players because I didn't have any awareness of players around me. So I know I was a dangerous striker because I you know my my head is about getting goals and being able to do whatever with the ball, but the main thing was, is can I hold up the ball? Can I be predictable and lay the ball off to my teammate? Can I do that on a consistent basis? That's the part that I was needed for. And that's the part that I, was, I spent time learning. And it took a bit of time. And, you know, eventually we, I got there. And at the right time, because at the time when Jason moved on, um, that was when I was able to come in and um, actually take the, the team, you know, take over that, 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 um, that role of helping the team score goals and play well.
0: Yeah, so at the end of that season, Roberts leaves in the summer and then Cureton leaves after one game the next season. So, I mean, obviously, it was a massive blow for the club losing strikes of that quality. And obviously, we disastrously missed out on promotion the season before. How did you feel about it personally, losing Jason, who, who you said had took you under your wing and and you're really close with and then JB Curiton off the back of the the disappointment as well how was how was all of that
1: yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the best feeling but at the same time I I realized it's it's a time for me to then push on now and get into the side and we did have um, Justin Richards who came from West Brom as well Um, and he was looking like someone who I could play with and do really well with. So I was disappointed to not really get much time playing with him because he was a similar kind of, you know, player to Jason, but with a, a bit more skill and um, just as fast, big, strong. He used to take the mick out of all the players in training. And I would just be like, man, I can't wait till we play together. But we had obviously manager changes at the time. And then the, obviously the kind of the the feeling of getting him into the side wasn't the same. Uh I ended up having uh I think about fourteen different strike partners um during the last uh, the them seasons. But um there's a few really good ones as well. I remember Kevin Gore, he came in from Newcastle, I think.
0: Yeah, he's and, really um, small and quite nippy, wasn't he, Kevin? Yeah, he was very fast and um he was a good player. Uh,
1: I enjoyed playing with him. I know uh, the one from um, from Holland he is very technical
0: sergio omo
1: sergio omo um sergio omo he was really good technically i learnt a lot from seeing his play cuz obviously him coming from was he was he in the ajax kind of um he maybe certainly dark wasn't he, duck, through he? The, yeah through the young side of that so you can see technically he would be, you know he learnt a lot and you know someone like him was really good um to play with as well it just i just remember just so many players coming in as strikers to to try and be that next striker as well alongside me um so it was a bit of a major transitional period um we just couldn't get a team to gel together enough to stay up that the next season wasn't it we ended up yeah. getting relegated yeah um it was a nightmare to be fair because i on the on one hand i did really well but on the other hand we were we were going down and um i just remember we playing away one day, and I was just crying in the changing room after the match. Like, I was so upset that we lost, that we were getting relegated. I was just thinking, well, There's not much more I can do myself. You know, not much more we can all do. We're all trying our best, and man, we're relegated. Um, so I remember that feeling of so much pain when we went down. But um, yeah, it was just one of those seasons where we had to just take the mantle on and, and, and try and go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, must have been really bittersweet because you finished as top goal scorer with eighteen goals. Yeah, the team ultimately got relegated, and yeah, it, it did seem like you played with a hundred different strikers during that season. Um, had the likes of Mickey Evans. He yeah. he joined for a very big fee. Um, yeah. but I think most gas heads would consider him a flop? Can, can you remember yeah. playing with Mickey Evans up top? Yeah,
1: I remember playing with
0: him. Uh, I
1: learned one thing from him, though, and that was jumping early. <laughs> um, not to win the header, but to stop the defender jumping and winning the header. So I remember learning that from him. Um, so you, again, you learn little things from different people. Even if he was a flop and didn't score as many goals as he should have, he brought something in that I looked at and thought, OK, I'm having that. <laughs> Let me take that. So yeah, there was... Who else was there now? I remember um Scottish lad who
0: came, um Martin Cameron.
1: Yeah, so he was um a player who I remember coming from Scotland. Um another raw character came in, didn't really have any football IQ, didn't really do much um in terms of helping the team play their their patterns of play and stuff, but he always seemed to be in the right place and, and did get himself a few goals to be fair. So um You know, if anything else, you know, as a striker, he did do that part of his job pretty well.
0: Yeah, so even even though we did get relegated, again, like I said, personally, it was a great season for you. We had that League Cup game against Everton. What can you remember that? I mean, we got a late draw at their place and then beat them in the the replay at the Mem.
1: Yeah, so funnily enough, um, I was asked about this question um, a little while ago by a person like doing some history on on Goodison Park, and I can remember nothing of it. (laughs) The one game in my whole career, which I should remember something as well, but I remember near enough every game of my whole career, and that's the one... They're the two games I don't
0: remember anything about. They even had Paul Gascoigne come off the bench, Nathan. You you can't even remember him knocking about.
1: You know what? I, I can vaguely remember when someone mentioned something about them games I can vaguely remember what happened. Now,
0: we won. Did you say in the se- second leg? In the second leg, yeah, it was a penalty shootout. I won't. I won't mention the player who missed the penalty, but we won oh, the penalty shootout. It was. It I was you.
1: I remember missing the penalty. That was it. So that was before I learned the, the penalty technique from Nick Calkin, who came. Because after that, I never missed a penalty ever since. <laughs> uh, what, what did Nick Calkin
0: teach you about penalties?
1: So he told me about Eric Cantona and how he used to take penalties. So I remember missing that penalty in uh, that game. Uh, And I also missed another penalty in another penalty shootout. I can't remember who it was against, but I missed two penalties for Bristol Rovers in penalty shootouts. And um, I was upset because I was like, I really went for that bottom corner there. I didn't look at the keeper. I just chose the corner and I hit it as hard as I could and he saved it. How did he save this? And um, so I thought, that's just not a way to take penalties. You know, you listen to everybody and you, you, one person saying, choose a corner, just go there. Don't care what anyone says. Then you got someone who says, just bang it as hard as you can. Nick Culkin said, Nathan. Because we did um, a penalty shootout at the end of a training one day. We did like, a little contest. It's like, come on, let's take some penalties. And um, what happened was, I missed like my first four penalties against him. And he says, Nathan, listen, you you should just take him like Eric Cantona. And he said to me, all he used to do is take a dead straight run up, run slowly, never look at the ball, look at the keeper, and wherever he moves, just goes the other way. So I was like, okay, I'll try that. So I ran up to the ball, and I slotted it the other way. And then I took another one, did it again. And another one and another one and another one. I took about twenty penalties after that and I scored every one of them I said that's it taking these penalties like this from now on that's it I now know how to take I kind of adjusted it to my way where I you know put my leg back very slowly at the end so then I wait for the keeper to make his move and then I can slot it wherever I want with power with without even power because if he's already leaning one way it's impossible for him to go the other way um and so what I realised was when I ran up to the ball in that penalty shootout and hit it hard, if I was seen, if I saw the keeper, he would have already been on his way to save my shot in the bottom left. But I didn't look at him. So if you're running up to the ball, the keeper has to move early to be able to save your shot in a corner. So that just means that I had to use this technique and, and that's how I've been scoring ever since.
0: Advice from Eric Cantona, that's incredible. <laughs> Via Nick Colkin. Yeah. <laughs> so um in that season Ian Holloway gets sacked in in January. Do you think that was the the right call and and what was Ollie like at the the end of his time as manager at Rovers?
1: Um obviously it was not great um for him because um obviously I felt for him we all felt for him because obviously we knew how much it meant to him and um we were just not getting the results we wanted and um things were just not going well. And we just know when it gets to them kind of stages, you know, it's going to happen at some point, but then it just happens. And it's like, man, he's the one who brought me in this and my manager, like, what am I going to do? Kind of thing. He's the guy that brought me in, like who's going to be next. What's going to happen. Um, but Gary Thompson obviously took over. Um, and he obviously loved me as well. So it was great to have another manager who came in, who had the same feeling about me and what I can do and giving me the freedom to play as well. So, I was just happy that that was the case. It was someone I'd already knew, already been around for the, you know, for, since I'd been there. So it was um is a it was a good transition. Um, and then we, we, we obviously got some good results while while I was there. And um, I think that was the time when I had that great month before I left, isn't it? So I had the um the one month where I scored three hat tricks, one against Leighton Orient, then uh, Derby county in the cup and then after that it was Swansea at home as well so I managed to get uh, a good month in there
0: <laughs> yeah an incredible month so uh, again your final season with the the gas the 2001-2002 season it was another difficult season for the club but again personally you're you on flames your most most prolific in a Rovers shirt you were named the PFA team of the year as you mentioned, three hat-tricks mm. in the space of a month. 21 goals in total. What are your memories of that season?
1: I just felt on fire that season. Um, to be honest, I felt like everything was working for me. Um, everything I did seemed to work. Um, and I even, like, I, I remember recording every game that I used to play. So I used to make a little compilation every time I scored. I'd go home, get the go on Sunday morning, the, the, the sports record the TV, put it and, and connect it to all all these goals that I would score. So it used to be a thing of mine to just continually watch what I've done and then just use that as the confidence to take into a new game and then just continually try and add to that. And um, it's just, a, it's just, you know, I felt like obviously I'd learned enough now that I can now go out on the field and, and play my game and pretty much do what I felt I, I wanted to do. And he um, obviously showed on the pitch that, it was working pretty well, and um, again, it was a league lower as well, wasn't it? So it was a little, is that little bit easier to to um, to, I guess, destroy other defenders?
0: <laughs> yeah, you say it was a league lower, so it must have been easier. But you played against a team that were a few leagues above, and it looked yeah. incredibly <laughs> easy. Let's talk about that FA Cup tie away at Premier League. Derby County. We spoke a little about a little bit about it at the start. They had the likes of Ravanelli playing for them. I just want to read you the opening paragraph of the match report from the Guardian and let me know what you make of this. The FA Cup yesterday maintained its delightful ability to deliver the unexpected and in Nathan Ellington, a hero. The young striker's hat-trick ensured that third division Bristol Rovers not so much bridged the gap between them and their premiership opportunities, opponents has rendered it non-existent (laughs) it was one of the best
1: feelings ever um i remember going there on that day and obviously we, we knew we had a good enough team to to play the ball around and do what we needed to do to create chances to to score and stuff but um i think that that the the first goal was the best goal of the three wasn't it so i the ball came up from Shea Wilson. He played the ball up to me from like, I think it was, he was in the middle of the pitch in his own half. He played the ball up to me and I've gone and chested it on the swivel and volleyed it straight away into the goal. And it's another thing again, where I'm there thinking I'm high on confidence. I'm playing against a premiership team at a great stadium on the met on the best pitches. This is what I live for. And, um, Again, it's one of them things where you think it into existence. So it's not like it was something where I said, I'm going to chest this, I'm going to turn and I'm going to volley it. It just happened because it was the ball came and it was just an instinct to, to control it and turn and volley it. And that's like something I see in, in these players that I used to see when I watched them in Premiership. So And then it just comes off because you believe you can do it. But then, when you when I after the game and I sit back and I think, okay, I wonder if I could even replicate that in training.
0: But the thing is, know. nobody expected it. You you watch the the goalkeeper, and because it happens so quickly, he can't react. Mm.
1: Yeah. So this is the thing. It's it's one of them things where I don't think I can replicate that pretty easily in training. I'd probably need about fifty tries to be able to do that without a defender, you know, behind me. And without even a keeper there, can I control the ball facing away from goal outside the box? Turn it, turn on it straight away from chesting it and volley it in. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I know it's just one of them things. It's the instinct of the moment and the the confidence of the whole situation. The FA Cup playing against Ravanelli, playing against Premiership in the stadium, so many fans. That's that feeling that gives you that. Again, for me, it's it's the that mindset of being a I don't know, being someone else and, and and pretending to be that Ronaldo or whatever. And um it was just it helped me because that's what gets you to be, like I said, higher than your own stats. I think it was my I guess it was my own stats as well. <laughs> but um yeah, it was like me the best that I can be at that time. And it's just, you know, playing without any any worries at all.
0: Yeah, and you must have felt invincible after that day. But um, Nath, you obviously got to take some of the plaudits for your fantastic performance that afternoon. But um, I predicted uh, your goals that day. I actually, in the programme, I was getting interviewed at, at, at the game as a as an eight year old. I predicted a I predicted a five nil victory. So you didn't quite reach those heights, <laughs> and I predicted that. Nathan Ellington would grab all the goals. Wow. Wow. That's a good little prediction there. Well, that's unbelievable, to be fair.
1: But um to be honest, it was weird. It was a funny one because I scored that first one. That's fine. But the second one, when I cut inside and I hit the ball and it went in, I didn't think that was my goal. So I've come in ch- half time and Gary Thompson's like, yeah, you can get your hat-chick now. Uh, you know, go on and get your hat-chick. I'm like, what do you mean get my hat-chick? I'm only on one goal. <laughs> I was thinking, how am I going to get a hat-chick? And I was like, oh, okay. They get, they they credited that to me. That's great.
0: So, so who do you think should have got the second goal then?
1: Well, just come to think of it, it was the first goal was the header. I remember the first goal was the header from the goal kick. The second goal was the one where I got the ball and I I think I, I barged Yuma Mueni off the ball. And then I cu- was coming in down the side. And then I outside of foot played it across goal. And I don't think it was heading in the goal. So in towards the goal. So, and then it got hit into the goal by someone else. So I thought that that might have been a, an, an own goal. But um, like I said, when I went into the um, changing room, Gary Thompson was like, you know, you're on for your hat trick here. I didn't know why he said that because I thought I was only on one.
0: Yeah.
1: But then I went and scored the 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 the, the chess volley, um, so that was the third one that obviously sealed it off. So I was just happy they gave me that second goal so I could say I had a hat trick.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank God the dubious goals panel weren't about because maybe they would have taken it away from you. Probably would have. <laughs> okay, we we won't send them that footage in case they go back retrospectively <laughs> and and take the hat trick ball off you. <laughs> it's too late now. It's too late now. Imagine, imagine. Um so yeah, so absolutely brilliant season for you again, personally, and I don't think anyone was surprised that you moved on from Rovers. We we're still struggling in the bottom tier. So Wigan Athletic came in for you on, on deadline day for a club record fee of one point two million pounds. How how did that move come about?
1: Um Basically, um, it was a, another very weird one. Um, I was, I think it was the last few days. I think there's one day to go. Somehow, I was in London. My agent said, "Come and see us in the office um, in Sutton." So I went to Sutton, met them, and um, they said, "Yeah, oh, we've got um, a manager here. Uh, a manager down in London. He's in the hotel. He's going to be there. Uh, he wants to meet you. Um, let's go and let's go down and meet him." I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let's go. Jump in his car. Um, we all go to, to London and um, meet um, Paul Jewell. I don't know who he is, don't know who the club is at the time because I don't really know too much about all the managers and teams and stuff. But um, he calls me and we sit down and he's like, look, um, you know, I was, obviously I can see what you've been doing. You've been doing really well as a striker. And we've got a team here. We've got everything we need. We just need that extra striker to make... To the next level, um, to take us to get promoted, I believe, um, and you're the player that we want to take. We want to bring you on board, um, and I was like, okay, um, let me have a think about it then. Not a problem, I'll have a think about it because I don't know where we're gonna, I don't know who we're gonna, I don't know what the players, I don't know anything. And um, he says, look, you're gonna have to come up with us um, and have a look at the stadium and everything and make your decision because deadline day is tomorrow. You can't. I can't leave today and leave you on. You know to to think about it because you won't be able to sign if even if you want to. So you're gonna have to come back with us. I'm like, okay. What What do you mean? And he's like, Well, a helicopters leaving from Battersea in the next few hours. And, uh, a helicopter. Wow. Helicopter to the sort of chairman's helicopter is leaving. We'll be back up there within an hour. I'm like, okay. Where is Wigan? Where is Wigan? Like, so anyway, I said, okay. Well. I'm going to have to think quickly here. I'm going to have to come straight away. I don't have none of my stuff, nothing on me. I rang my mum. I said, mum, can you just pack me a few bits and um, meet me in Battersea, please, at this address. We're going on a helicopter to here. She's like, okay, I'll see you in half an hour. she got my stuff, met me there. We both flew um, straight up there. Uh, I think we were waiting. Cause I think it was like last minutes before we we had to go. Um, we managed to get off. We got there in an hour. We landed in um, the chairman's like grounds. He's, I think he's got like the JJB grounds. We landed there, went to a hotel late at night. I remember sitting in, in the room, just really kind of upset, a bit upset because I didn't know where I was. I knew I probably would be signing. And my dream of going back to London, where I was from, was not going to happen. Because when I went to Bristol... I never thought I'd ever leave home. So when I went to Bristol, the whole aim was, okay, my next move, I'm gonna go back home and I'm gonna be back home again and then I can play my football and live my life like normal and just be a football player. So then when that I knew that wasn't gonna happen and then I was in Wigan and I didn't know where Wigan was that night, I was a bit upset. So I was crying a little bit and um especially I had a so yeah, so anyway, so that's what happened at that time. And then it wasn't until the next day when I called my uncle to come from Bradford because my cousin, his son, um, also was a football player. So he knew how contracts go and stuff. So I wanted him to be with me when any contract was getting done. So I got him to come over and obviously have a look through everything and make sure everything's done properly. And he goes, it only took me an hour to get down here. um, So it's not far. You can come and live with us until you find a place. So I was like, oh, it's not far from Bradford. I'm actually going to see my rest of my family. I'm from Bradford, so uh-huh. all of my family lives there. My aunties, uncles, cousins, everyone lives there. So I was like, oh, it's not so bad after all. I'm not far away. So um, I went to obviously I, I went to the stadium, had a look. Amazing stadium. Um, everything was amazing. And um, and my agent said, listen, you've already played in this league. You already know you can do it. You're just at a better stage now in a really good team. So the chance, you know, it's a really good move for you. So. We decided to make the move and that was it. We just, we signed, uh, played the last two games of that season, scored in both of them and then was able to go home, get myself sorted and then, you know, get myself settled over there by the end of the, by the start of the next season or sometime into that next season. So yeah, it was a great, it was an amazing move, but it happens overnight. It happens in a split second. Like I went to my agents just to see them, not thinking anything. Not thinking I'm moving anywhere, not thinking I'm never going back to Bristol. It, it was just it just happened, and um, this is what happens for every football player. It just happens, and you you're you're there, and that's it. That's it. Goodbye Bristol. So it, it's a weird one how footballers have to move on the spot.
0: So a couple of days before, you didn't even know where Wigan was, and and then you're you're moving there to play professional football after a. £1.2 million deal. I mean, what was your impressions of uh, Wigan when you got to know the place a bit better?
1: Yeah, I knew it was like, I've been told it was a rugby rugby um, city, um, predominantly known for rugby, but um, the stadium was really big, really lovely. Um, they had similar amount of um, fans as as Bristol Rovers, but because Bristol Rovers is a smaller stadium, it feels a lot more packed so I kind of thought, okay, yeah, it's a similar kind of amount of um, fans. It's still going to be fine. Um, that's good. And I obviously the, the the fans grew, obviously, as we continued winning and stuff. So, yeah, joining a, a set of lads which are amazing, absolutely amazing. I couldn't believe it, the ability of all the players um, from what I was used to. So, you know, for me, I always went up the leagues. So everything always got better for me. So And and it felt like I went up at the right time, not ahead of my time when I'm not able to handle it. So my time at Rovers was a perfect time. I was able to get the right amount of game time and then went first team, then mastered the league kind of thing. And then I moved up now with Wigan to a league which I'm used to, but now I've got players all around me that are unbelievable. And I'm like, wow, I never knew football could be like this. I never knew I can get to, you know, balls like this all the time and quality like this. So then I'm getting better and I've got better players. So now it's just getting easier and easier, better pitches, better players, more goals. So it was just the thing of more goals came, um, better football, and I just improved and and kept improving. And playing every week, is obviously, that's the main part of my game. I'm a power player. So without that playing every week, I don't have that 90 minutes of of, of power to be able to last the whole match as the f- full me, if you get what I mean. So that was another thing that was really nice that I was in there and I was going into straight away play.
0: Yeah, and you had a formidable few seasons at Wigan. So promotion to the Championship in the O two O three season as champions, top goal scorer in 0-4, 0-5, along with promotion to the Premier League. He uh, scored a hatful of goals there, sixty-eight to be precise. And then you even had um, your old pal back for a bit as well, didn't you? Got your yeah. partnership with Jason Roberts. What was that
1: like? Oh, it is was amazing. To you know, I remember again. We were. It was funny because after I think Andy Liddle left, he was a great striker, um, and I played with him for the first whole season. We won the division two. Um, he was a great person to learn from. Is another person to learn how to be relentless in your football and getting as many goals as you can. Get Don't just settle for one, get two. If you can get three, get three. Don't stop and relax. A lot of players these days, and he goes, look, sometimes you might feel you can relax once you've got your one goal. I've got my goal now. My goal ratio of one to two should be okay. I don't need to worry. But he was like, don't stop there. Keep going, keep going, keep going and that really put it into me Um, that really like, it cemented something new into my head again, I'm taking that from you, thank you, I'm taking that on board, it's another major milestone in my life that I need to take on and um, I took it on and um, then um, it was another stage where when he left, we got promoted and we needed to find another strike partner for myself we were trying with a few different players didn't really work out with um, Jeff Horsfield, he was okay but you know it wasn't what we what we were looking for. And then um, we uh, ended up with Jason Roberts because I went and told the manager, listen, Jason Roberts is available, you need to get him in. like you should get this guy in. Luckily, he took my advice and he came and I managed to sign and it was just like finally, we get to play on the same pitch this time instead of you I'm on a bench, then you're playing and then, then you know then you leave, then I'm playing. So it was great to um, finally get to play with him and and realise what we we always wanted to do. And that was play for each other um, and have a partnership. These days, there's no partnerships. It's each for their own as a striker. You know, that's what happened with Horsfield. He's a good striker, but it was more about himself. Play the ball out wide and he'll get in the box. As opposed to seeing me and putting me in, he's probably best off getting the ball out wide and getting in the box so he can get his goal. And I felt like a lot that there was no link up between me and and, and, and a few other strikers that we did have. And um that's what happens. Um, if you don't have that extra bond and that feeling of wanting to help your teammate, um, you're never going to have... That's why you don't have many strike partnerships. You have York and Cole, Sean and Shearer, and, and, and Ellington and Roberts. And, and that's, that's about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it! Oh well, yeah, it's, uh, it was lovely. And yeah, you were both in the um, PFA Team of the Year as well. I mean, you very rarely see that two strikers mm. from the from the same team. So I mean, that just goes to show how great your partnership was with him. Um, so that was promotion up to the Premier League. But in the summer, you end up moving to West Brom. What what prompted that move?
1: Uh, it's just the fact that um, the club didn't, I felt them um, Wigan didn't look after me at that time. Um, I signed I signed back in, what was it, 2001? Um, and, and I had a contract where if we got promoted, I get a new contract. So I had that same contract at that season when we got promoted. My contract was exact same since I signed there when I had a deal to sign a new deal the next season when we got promoted and I was top scorer. We won the league. I played the whole season with my shoulder coming out and um, ended up taking my operation at the end of the season rather than in the season. So at least we can get the, you know, I could help the team as much as possible. And um, they didn't want to give me a new contract at the time. So I said, okay, I'll prove myself in the championship and then you can possibly give me a new deal. So then that season ends, Jason Roberts comes towards the end of that season he, I know he's on double the money I'm on at the time. And um, it's not a problem because I felt, you know what, when it comes to me getting my deal done, they'll obviously be able to take into account the years that I haven't had a new deal. So, um, and then I already know that Jason Roberts is going to be on double what he's going to be on if they get to the premiership. So then I'm on basically, I don't even know how many times less money that would be. But anyway, so that season, me and Jason in the team of the year, I'm top-scoring in the league by probably one goal off him. I think it's 26, and he had 25 or something like that. And um, end of the season comes, and that season, again, I had my shoulder came out. And that season, I still end up top-scoring in the league this time rather than just at the club. And I felt like, look, I've done enough now. We're in the premiership now. I've got one year left on my contract. Please take into account that I didn't bother anyone for the last two years didn't say anything. I just got on with my football, knowing that I'm on half the money. And then they just messed around with wanting to offer me a deal worth anything. Um, that was fair. Um, they didn't take into account anything. The chairman spoke to me in his office on it on my own, trying to tell me that I wasn't good um towards the end of the season. Top scorer. So it's not if that's not good, I don't know who was good that season. So that was a bit weird. Yeah. Uh, but I think he was just doing it to kind of make me feel like I shouldn't try and ask for a certain amount when it comes to negotiations. And, um, we, my agents came from London to meet him, arranged meeting to have this um, contract negotiations and he was in Barbados. So then two weeks later we arranged another meeting and he was still in Barbados the next time. So he was messing around. And plus they were offering me deals that they're saying that I was going to be top paid at the club. And I said, look i know what jason's on so that's more than he's on more than what you're offering me now and so i know that you're you're lying to me not that it's a problem i don't mind that if i was on more or less than him but the reality is don't tell me lies and don't offer me this amount and not even take into account this and that so anyway we couldn't negotiate because the chairman wasn't there and then we couldn't get hold of him while we was talking so in the end my agents advised me to stay at the club for the final year of my contract. Um, but at this time, my missus was pregnant and um, I didn't want to go into the last year of my contract with that over my head. In an unknown situation, I'm in the Prem, where buying new players, I could be frozen out. And then I could also have an injury. I, re- I basically wanted to have a bit of security there. Um, and, I, and I just wasn't willing to just see out the season and uh, and hope for the best, really. So at that stage, what happened was um, Brian Robson um, made an offer um, for me. I had a clause of of a three million pound clause to obviously if anybody comes in for that, then I can um, get released from the the contract. And um, they put a bid in for three million and one P. So they made sure that they they activated it. And um, it was a thing where, I didn't want to leave. I never wanted to leave. I, w- I would have probably stayed there as, as long as possible, especially getting to the Premiership and still thinking, you know, I've got my, my strike partner here who I could, you know, I could really do damage with in the Premiership. And um, and the whole, the whole team was an amazing team, like I said. We got better and better. And I just didn't want to leave. But the fact of the matter was, is I supported Man United since I was five years old. I grew up watching people like Brian Robson in midfield. Um, so he was a a legend to me. Not only that is West Brom had been in the premiership. They were, they just managed to stay up. I looked at their squad and can see a lot of quality players. And I thought, you know what, if I go there and they, again, there's me thinking I'm going to be playing every week. Um, if I go there, I'm just going to help them improve and then we'll probably stay up at least mid table or something. And, um, I said the worst way is this is a sideways movement, but at least I'm getting a contract and someone else who maybe wants me—I don't know—just an, another opportunity to to move on to another stage in my career. Um, so I thought, you know what? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make the move. So um, I made the move. Um, I go to before I make the move. I go back to the training ground to say bye to everyone, and I'm crying in front of everyone, just upset because I didn't want to leave at all, saying bye to everyone. And then I'm on the motorway going down to West Brom to sign and West Brom uh, and, what, and Wigan bring up and, are, and offer me a good contract, which is even less. Um, it's still less than what I'm going to, to West Brom for, um, considerably less. But I still would have just taken that if they just would have just give offered me this long time ago. Mm. But they messed me around so much, made me feel bad about myself. And then it was like the, the principle of, I can't just, I've told these guys I'm coming. I told them I'm signing. I'm a person who keeps my word kind of thing. Um, So I've got to go now. And um, obviously that was a naive thing to do on my part because in football, when you're negotiating, you can't take things personally. And um, I think I did there at that point. And um, I went against everything I wanted to do just because of my feelings. Um, and, um, and I even went against my agents of, again. So knowing that that's what they're there for. They're there to help me make footballing decisions based on the right thing at the right time. And I did the wrong thing. I followed my own thoughts. I followed my own, um, emotions. Um, although I did want to stay, it's a weird one. I did want to stay, but I followed what I felt was the best thing to do morally. And, um, I ended up going and uh, I ended up going to West Brom at the time. It's still a good feeling. Uh, Obviously, going to the premiership and playing for for West Brom, it's still a great time there. But again, I think it was, um, it would have been a a better move to stay at Wigan and continue and see what we could have done with them um, in the end. Especially the fact that I didn't get to play as much as I'd like to. I was on the bench quite a bit through the season. There was a period of time where they did Start playing me once they saw the quality and the goals. I, I went on a bit of a run of goals. They kept playing me, you know, some somewhere midway through the season. I had a little a nice spell. Scored against Man United uh, in the cup. Scored against Middlesbrough, Birmingham City. Um, played really well at Tottenham, at Spurs. Playing against another childhood hero and Edgar Davids at the time. So it was it was always a very very good feeling and great memories of playing in the Premiership. Um, under at West Brom and it's just a, um, annoying because I was a person who's always been quiet when it comes to not being in the squad and stuff and thinking mm. okay I'll let my football do the, the talking and um, that was my downfall because at the end of that season when I got relegated I went in and told the manager listen I wanna um, we can want to leave Wigan wanted to be back anyway at the time mm. I want to leave because this is not right and um <laughs> obviously I gave my my, my case and they basically said um, you should have um, had this conversation earlier and um, it was too late, you know, I said why are you playing all all these other players they played half the games as me I'm still top scorer at West Brom with 8 goals in the season 5 in the league, 3 in the cup and um, I've played half the games the other strikers have played, me and Kanu we both had five Premiership goals between us. Why were we never playing enough? And um, it's just a thing where I think, that it, I think he just he accepted that my, I had a point there. But yeah, did, too late. did they
0: give you a good ex- explanation for why you didn't start as much as you did, considering you had such a good record?
1: Um, to be <laughs> fair, um, there was no explanation. Um, I think the main thing that I felt was puzzling when it comes to um, the manager's decision-making in the season, is he used to pick teams that wouldn't... He he used to think that he's not winning against any of the bigger teams. So he would always change his team in them games Mm. and then just get ready for the smaller games at a similar level that he thinks that maybe we can win. And that was our downfall. We had a very good squad, but he always... For some reason, he played Horsfield and Campbell together and they were both two hold-up men, none of them with pace. They're both good players, but just they're never going to hurt anyone with pace with them two in the middle. So we never had pace um, until we, you know, we could see we had pace in the squad and we had a great um, squad. And I would have thought we would could have done a lot better if we picked a more balanced team and a more dangerous team and with the right balance. But he never ended up playing those players. It, is, it was weird. It was very weird. And, um, again, it's manager's decision-making, isn't it? And um, which which we all have our opinions on who you think should play and stuff. But I I was thinking, this is glaring. Like, these guys have played they're, they're great, great um, professionals. But when you look at the stats, it was double games of us and scored less goals than the goals we've scored. So why are we not getting our chance ahead? And um, it ended up we got relegated in the end. So... It was um, a bit of a nightmare.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like there's quite a lot of frustration for that kind of period, because it is obviously an unbelievable opportunity. You kind of come from non-league, really moved your way up the leagues, got to the premiership, and then it just didn't quite work out. You just didn't get that that run of games that you so dearly needed.
1: Well, yeah, especially the first time in my career, not, not really playing week in, week out anymore. You know, from from when I did start playing, it was always 20-plus goals a season. And then um, I always prided myself on beating my last year's results. And if you look at it, every time I did play, I did always beat my last year's results until it got to the Premiership season. And um, I never played that much. But it was 18 goals, uh, 18 games, sorry. Eight goals, uh, 18 starts. I always went off starts and stuff. But um, 18 starts and eight goals altogether... I felt, you know, I, you know, I got a quite good return there. It's not too bad. I'm top scorer at the club, and then I haven't really done play that much. Um, I, I've showed what I can do in terms of ability-wise on the pitch. The chairman thinks the world of me. Thinks I'm really, really good. One of the best strikers they've ever had at the club. And um, so, it's not like my reputation went anywhere. But it was just a thing of, I really wish I was playing every game because I know I would have scored. You know, 20 goals in that season if I was playing every game. So it was just a painful feeling to not get back there.
0: Yeah, I mean, nearly one in two in the Prem is a fantastic return. So yeah, you would have thought they would have played you a lot more. I want to talk about um, your conversion to to Islam. Am I right in thinking Mm. that happened in 2005? So the year you won promotion with Wigan and the year you joined West Brom, yeah. so, I mean, yeah. you're, the kind of height of your career then and obviously with all the sacrifices that comes with the Is- Islamic faith, namely Ramadan, which we're in at the mm. moment, how was that like to adjust to like, in terms of like, your, your footballing performance during Ramadan, for example?
1: Well, to be honest, when I first accepted it, it was just a, a thing of some research that I did. And I found that my beliefs align with, with, with the, that belief. So I accepted it to be um, the religion that I believe um, is true come, that came from the one who created us all. So that's all I understood at that time. I didn't know any more deeper than that. So I didn't know about fasting and praying, um, how to pray, any of this stuff. So I just carried on my life as normal nothing changed other than if someone says, what what religion are you? I'd say Islam, I'm a Muslim. And, but that was it. So it was a bit weird that things, um, how do you say, um, nothing changed on the football field at that point, but because it coincided with like nine 11 and, and these things happening, it was weird because I didn't really know about all this stuff. Like how the, kind of, you know, the reality of it all, but then, I'm there finding something that I believe, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe it's all these all these years of my life. And I never knew, you know, that this was even here. This was a religion. And um, again, it became something that I feel it did affect my career moving on from that point. Because a lot of people, for some reason, if you connect it with negativity in the media, you kind of, you get a little bit of that negativity. And also people then start making comments that are not even true, that, if, that they've, never, they've never even met me and making comments as well. I'm um, saying I'm not interested in my football anymore and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of annoying well, because...
0: Where are these comments coming from? Are, they, are these coming from fans or even players no. in, in squads? Some players... Uh,
1: I remember Jason Roberts saying to me, oh, uh, you know, one one of the players that I um, spoke to um, said you was you know, you, you're weird, you weird, you're play praying in corners and stuff. I'm like, I don't even know how to pray. And What are they talking about? I've never even come to the, you know, here and prayed yet. So I don't even know all of that yet. It, took, it was about a year and a half later when I learned how to pray anyway. So there's little things like that. I'm like, wow, people really talking about me. And I'm a guy that no one ever talks about. No one ever said anything nev- negative about. Everyone's always liked me. I've never had a problem with any other football player. So why would someone even think of to say anything like that so again i'm just like a innocent kind of not even realizing what's really going on in the world in the in the bigger picture and um negativity and, and, is just, and just coming because on of me.
0: your faith
1: yeah it, it was just weird very very weird and um like i said um things happened in my career that people would actually attribute to me being being muslim like I might, uh, when I did start learning, um, that's obviously, I did start praying, so, but not, um, like any weirdness. I just pray in a room where no one's, no one's there. I close the door, pray five minutes and I'm out. Um, but then I had my beard. I started growing my beard a bit more. Um, I'm just, it's just weird. Cause like, people would see that. I'm not going to name everybody. I don't want to name people, but like you have a manager who would say, um, speak to my agent and tell him to try and get me to cut my beard i'm like why what's that got to do with anything when you've got people like melberg with the biggest beard on earth playing for for villa no one says anything about him why why problem with me about that and then you'll have you know you're on the bus and i might choose to bring a little book with me to read while i'm sitting there and other people may be playing cards for money or something but then playing cards for money is is fine but me, I'm not interested in my football anymore because I'm reading the book. So
0: Yeah, I mean we- that's straight up discrimination. The the bit about the getting you to cut your beard. I mean that that's genuine discrimination based based on your religion.
1: Well yeah, well remember back then it was what I was like I feel like I was one of the first to come out there, kind of be a bit more out there with my religion and stuff. And um it's a different it is a different culture to the football culture so you're not going out nightclubbing anymore so all the boys are going out nightclubbing on a day when they get to go out there's nothing wrong with that you know for them to go out and do their thing but i can't go with them anymore so we might have a meal before or something i'll go to the meal or whatever and then i'll go home instead of going out with them so that would be my thing but some people are like no no you have to come out you've got to come out it doesn't matter what you're doing you gotta come out or you get a fine i'm like okay i'll just take the fine no problem so they're the kind of things where whether it's religion or not religion, it's like, it's just not the culture of football, um, of your football teammates. So sometimes there is a bit of that, but most people understood and that wouldn't be a problem. And um, uh, as I started learning more and understanding, wait a minute, there's these young kids coming through young te- youth, um, youth teams now, you know, they're living in digs and stuff. And they're, they're, they're scared to ask for, halal food or to be able to go and pray on a Friday and they're scared to do these things because they might be seen as they're not interested in their foot I remember getting spoken to by a player I remember getting spoken somebody asking me to speak to a young player who was at Birmingham at the time he'd just become Muslim and he's fine he's still working hard to try and become a football player but they came to me and says Nave, can you have a word with him? Have a chat with him because he's finding it hard to balance his his religion with his football. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what? And then I have a chat with him, and it's totally normal. But and I'm like, he didn't want to ask for food, didn't want to ask to pray. But what the good thing was is, me and a few of my friends of mine, we co- we founded um the Association of Muslim Footballers, to make sure. We can give these people a name and give, make some more awareness about it, and um, it coincided with all these other big football players coming to the Premier League, doing really well, and then teams have to cater for them, and then it just opened up the door for it to just be normal, because it is normal. There's nothing, there's nothing out, of, you know, out of the ordinary. It's actually a better professional by not drinking, not going out, not doing silliness or, or whatever you're actually looking after your body even better than most other players if they do do that stuff. So it would be, you'd actually should be going, ah, you know what? That's good. I actually got a more professional football player here, but instead they're looking at it as a negative. So um, it was a thing that needed to be done. Um, I took a lot of the brunt of it. I think um, even I found at West Brom, my agent um, spoke to me and told me he spoke to, a manager that I had, and um, he even mentioned something to do with um, negative about me being Muslim. And I was like, man, while I was living wow. like that. And, probably,
0: and an area like West Brom is incredibly diverse, it must be quite a big Muslim population there as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it is. So I think it did play a massive part in my regular playing. Um, and then it just became a nightmare to get back to playing every week and winning and scoring goals every week um that's what happened i ended up obviously relegated to west brom wanting to leave um didn't they didn't want to let anyone go because they wanted to re- go straight back up um they wanted to offer me a new deal i said no i don't want a new deal i just want to leave like my, the money will come like it's not a problem i just want to go and play i just want to go and play you brought me in here it seems like you brought me in here to cripple wigan rather than make your team better. Like it looks like you thought they would be one extra team that would maybe lower than you and increase your chances of staying in the prem. That's how I felt at the time. And I told him, um, and that's my agent. He said, look, you have to say what you feel now, forget being quiet. You have to say what you feel. So that's what I said at that time. And, um, they still didn't let me go anyway, Played the championship (laughs) season, the next season, um, did really well in that season. Um, again, I was in and out of the team, um, had scored, what, 11 goals in 18 games and like seven assists in the, that season in the championship. So I'd done well really again. We got to the playoff finals and we lost in the playoff finals with such a good team. Um, I just um, We just had the worst day ever at Wembley and the one chance to go back to the premiership, we didn't make it through. So mm. again, it was that feeling of I'm not playing every week. I need to get back playing. Um, I've had chances, two chances to go back to B- Wigan. Um, they pulled out, um, I remember the the, Wigan, the West Brom man, uh, chairman wanting to drag out the whole month of the, the transfer window and then allow me to go at the end of it. Uh, Paul Jewel said he can't wait. He called me back, I think. He called me at the start of the, the, the window. And then at midway through the window, he says, listen, I've got to go for someone else just in case they... They pull a plug on me and I can't find any strikers and I need a striker right now. You're my first option, but looks like I'm going to have to look elsewhere. I went in every day saying, listen, just let me go. Like, stop messing around. I need to go. I need to go. And um, a couple of days before the end, the one day when I walked in, said, listen, what's going on? He goes, you can go. So I couldn't get my hand in my pocket fast enough to call poor Jewel. Say, listen, they said I can go. I'm ready. I can come he goes, Nathan, we've, we've already made an offer for a player, we're just waiting for his work permit um, if it comes through then I'm sorry we can't take you And um, but if it doesn't yeah, we'll come and get you straight away Julius Agah- Agahawa, I was looking online I was looking on um, Sky Sports News all day like a hawk, looking, waiting for this yellow not waiting for the yellow bar to come up, but it came up and it said um, Agahawa signs for Wigan, so I knew my opportunity to go back to the Prem was gone. Um, and I had a few more opportunities like that to go back to the Prem, but they just never materialized. It was a nightmare. Um, I even had a, a, that's when I went to Watford, the, the season after. But um, again, its uh, I had this opportunity to at Blackburn. I trained at Blackburn with Jason Roberts. He was there. They had seven strikers, McCarthy, um, Nikolai. This Croatian striker, they had Duf, they had Gallagher yeah. All them strikers, I went there for a week Played really well Sam Allardyce gave me um, he done a fitness test Passed it, flying colours I'd done um, a medical Passed it Had a chat with him, he was happy with everything Saying, yeah I've seen enough And all of that, but what's happened to you Over these last few years, is it mental, is it not um, I said no It's nothing. It's just the fact that they just haven't given me my chance to play and all of that. So he agreed with all of that. And he says, yeah, I had a word with the chairman. I'll have a word with chairman. And he said, the chairman said, look, we can't have more than seven strikers at the moment. We've got to offload a couple before you come in. Transfer deadline passed. Didn't get to go back. So the few opportunities I'm thinking, yes, finally, I'm going to go back to the Prem. Didn't happen. About four different opportunities. One with Watford, two with Wigan. One at Blackburn, didn't happen. And one playoff finals as well, so um, just didn't happen.
0: So yeah, kind of what, what could have been, I suppose. But I mean, you spoke about wanting to go back to, to London, like before the Wigan move um, came about. Um, so you, you joined Watford. Was it nice moving back to, to London, even though it wasn't for a premiership side?
1: Yeah, it was okay. It was all right. I did get to see um, you know people on uh, back in London, but again, it was one of them things where I didn't have that feeling of needing to go back to London after Wigan, to be honest. Um, I have all my family in Black uh, in Bradford, and I used to go back to London every weekend anyway. I had my own house in Wimbledon, so I used to go back there, and all my friends used to come and see me there. So it wasn't a problem after that. But um, going back to London was not a problem at all. Um, it was still fun because london's london and um but again it was on the field. I guess it was the worst move I could have made because assigning for um for Aidy Bruford. He's a great guy great uh, great guy I'm, I'm, when I met him is lovely and um he really said i'd be playing um It didn't turn out to be that, but not only that is the football that we played it was total route one football and um it was totally not the football I play. Uh, I was used to intricate football and he wouldn't allow us to play intricate football. He told us, if you do play, you know, try and play through the lines and it doesn't get there, you'll be sitting with me. So um, it was a thing where we were kind of suppressed um, to play our kind of game that we want to play. The funny side thing is though, the team that he had assembled were built to play one route one and they were built to win. So we were top of the league for most of the season until we, we, we had a few players leave. Um, I came in, uh, but we can still try to play this way of football, which is not my way. I, I don't know. I can't play chasing balls on purpose. I don't play like I did. not My mind has been always now outsmarting the defense and playing to my strengths and the team's strengths. So we all wanted to play this football, but he wouldn't allow us. Um, so it was a thing where it was a frustration year. I had the worst footballing year in my career um, in terms of goals to games ratio. Didn't play too many games anyway and um, towards the end of that season um, we ended up dropping out of the top two spaces into the playoffs and then he says, we'll play football. It's too late. It's far too late. We started playing some good stuff but mm-hmm. just not sharp enough to you know, kill teams. It wasn't enough time to work on it and we ended up getting taken out. Um, we, we, we lost to, to Hull in the playoffs, um, we couldn't get to the finals because of two legs we lost um, against Hull. So um, we ended up not getting promoted, and I left there telling him, listen, I can't play this kind of football. I really need to move on and go somewhere where I can enjoy my football again. Uh, he, was, he was fine with it. Uh, we understood that, obviously, it's not my game. And um, he probably understood that he shouldn't have brought me in if that's the kind of football he wanted to play. Mm. Um Again, it's one of them things where if it was working, that then he went extra route one. And, um, you know, it's uh, nothing against him at all. I think that he felt that we couldn't do it at the time. So he thought that we had to play that way to win. um, And it wasn't good enough. And then um, we, we didn't manage to win. So.
0: And then you had a lone move away from Watford, which could be classed as quite a left field. Move you move to Greek side. I probably won't pronounce this right. Zanfi FC. Scodexanfi. Yeah, Scodexanfi. Yeah. So how on earth did that move come about?
1: So the second year at Watford, I was um, obviously the the way they bought me was three point two five rising to four point two five on appearances, and um, that extra million was getting paid every time I started a game. I think it's like seven thousand needed to be paid, and Watford were in a a lot of trouble at that point um financially they couldn't pay because they didn't get back up and all of that um so they kn- i knew i wasn't going to play games i'm not wasn't going to start any games at Watford um but Malcolm Mackay at the time who took over um he was really good to me he realized obviously that i was a good impact player to come off the bench um so every time i come off the bench i'd be on fire um but um i think it came to the Christmas time, where the new, where that, where the mark, where the transfer market opened up again, and Ermi says, "Look, there's this team in Greece that want you to come down. Go and have a look. But there's no pressure at all to go and to be there. Like, go and have a look, see what you think. If you want to go, um, and, and go by all means. But listen, you'll be, you know, you'll be in my plans. You'll be, you know, be exactly how it's been. Because I used to come on and change the game every game, like pretty much. I play about 30 minutes every single game, because um, he knew what I could do." And um, the funny thing is, is I couldn't do 90 minutes because I never played 90 minutes anymore. I was like this 30 minutes guy and I felt great coming on. And it's a different mindset Mm. than starting games. So I got used to this mindset of just being on the bench and coming on for 30 minutes and and killing it in 30 minutes. But then i am never a 90 minute guy anymore. And then if I start, it's like that weird feeling of, it's a different feeling at all. It's a different preparation. It's a different um, pressure it's weird so you get used to it and then you have to unlearn that being used to that and um, anyway I went to Greece went over there met them and um, I just felt you know what it might be a good idea to just get away and try something different play in a different league I saw obviously Jibril Cisse who was from the premiership he went there he's at Panathinaikos you had um, Lua Lua who was at Olympiakos Um, you had quite a few other big players over there um, now, I thought, you know what? I can be one of those players in these leagues. Did really well. Um, Christmas to Christmas. Um, I think I scored about seven goals in 17. They don't play that many games. And um, I got injured twice over there. Unfortunately, um, it, it kind of kicked my knees apart. <laughs> and um, I got two injuries, meniscus injuries, but I came back from them and obviously still had a good ratio. And the chairman wanted me to sign again uh, and stay there. But, um, I think my missus had enough of being away from home. home yeah, today. what
0: what was it like living in Greece? And I I don't even know where that place is. Is it quite a nice place in Greece?
1: Yeah, it's, it's quite nice. It's it's north northeast northeast of Greece, so it's near the Turkey side of things. And um, funnily enough, there was a mosque like right round the corner, and okay. they had the call to prayer out loud in the street. So it's yeah. it's just like I could just walk outside of my apartment and go and pray easy, and it was, that was nice. Handy. Yeah, because I was thinking, I wonder if I'm ever going to even get to pray here. I wonder if there's even a mosque here or anything, and I end up right next to a mosque, living like in a Islamic area with all halal food and everything. So oh, right. it was pretty um, handy in the end. But um, yeah, it was really nice, different um lifestyle, training in the evenings, um, obviously coffee in the in the daytime. <laughs> they love the coffees, but um, yeah, really nice weather, um, amazing setup. Um, To be fair, I love this set Everything was not as technically, not technically, not as um, new and updated as here, obviously. It's like 10 years Mm. behind in terms of that. But um, to be honest, a family, really family club. um, All the families come and they they go into the hotel and the families are all there while the game's on and stuff. And then they come and watch the match. And it's really lovely to have a a different kind of culture. And um, yeah, I just loved it. I absolutely loved it over there. Um, and it was just like, I didn't have to spend any money, really. You just live there. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. Nothing to pay. There's no m- monthly payments or anything. And you just get a car because he owns Skoda. So he's the owner oh, of Skoda. Oh, wow. So it just gives you, obviously, it gives each player a car. It gives everyone the old car, like the old ones. But uh, my missus she could only drive an auto. Okay. So we get an auto and they only had the brand new ones in auto. So, we're the only ones at the club with a brand new
0: Skoda. <laughs> so I'm guessing nothing like this ever happened at Rovers? You didn't get freebies like a free car or anything?
1: No, no, it's a bit different. When you come from abroad, you kind of need to have an apartment sorted for you. You need to have a car to get about. You can't yeah. just be walking. It's not like there's buses everywhere over there. <laughs> so Yeah, it was a bit weird. But yeah, it's, it, was, it was fun. It was fun for that year.
0: Yeah and then you so you came back to England and you spent a bit of time with a few other championship sides it's fair to say none of those really kind of worked out uh, that well Darby, um, Preston and Ipswich.
1: It was the Preston one really um, I went to Preston um, we we're already in the relegation zone um, I needed to go somewhere because I went back to from coming back from Watford I needed to go somewhere for the remainder of my contract that last few months and um. Preston was an option. they were at the bottom of the league quite far away from um, safety but um Phil Brown came in at the time when I had a trial he watched me said wow you know he could see the the, the good movement I had and everything still seen that as was sharp. so he brought me on. Um, I actually played really well that end of that season um, doing really well, but the team wasn't like geared. For making good enough chances to obviously take make the most of scoring goals all the time it wasn't like a, obviously bottom of the team you're going to be a team that's not firing in all cylinders So, um, but I he gave me the the confidence to play my football really well again and um, that's what I really really was happy about because um, he's a good man management uh, man manager and um, I, I gained my confidence back and I was playing 90 minutes again and I scored the odd few goals but obviously it wasn't a lot but um we didn't manage to stay up and it was, again, it was now I'm out of contract. Where am I going? And, um, and that's when I went back to Ipswich at the time. But this time, Paul Joel had a little bit of a different feel to him. He had a feel of, because he's the one who had that little, he had a bit of um, a negative towards me and Ramadan fasting. He mm-hmm. was like, I'm not going to play you during that time because it's got to affect your, your fitness levels and all of that. I'm like, listen, I was in Greece playing all t- the time, 36 degrees, and they loved me. Yeah. They said I'm better than... Yeah, yeah. They They wish I was fasting all year round because I was playing that well. So please don't use that against me. But he had that kind of feeling of um, religion might have done something or whatever. Uh, and then the, the fasting might have made me this and that. Um, but um, he brought me in more as a squad player there. He never gave me a chance to be the Nathan Ellington that I was in training. Because Jimmy Bullard was there. He was telling me, Listen, Nate, if you're playing just like you were, I remember scoring a hat-trick in 10 minutes for the reserves mm. um, while the team were not doing well. They were losing games, and um, he was still not putting me in. And I was thinking, why? He put me in one time, and I know how many games I need now to be a fully fit, 100% match fit. He play me one time. I'd last for about an hour, get tired, and then he'd take me off. And then I wouldn't play for another month. And then i will get one game again, and then – Another month, I'm like, Gaffey. I feel like I'm going in circles. Like You're not giving me my chance to get myself in my groove. Like You know what I can do. I'm doing it. I'm doing it in training. He says he can't give me that chance. He couldn't give me that opportunity. He doesn't have in my, in that much time to give me the games, to get me back into the levels. And um, it meant that I couldn't play again. I wasn't getting game time. I was playing well but not really getting enough game time. I was coming off the bench every night and didn't manage to get them that the odd goal to give me that chance to be pushed into the starting lineup. And he ended up getting sacked and I ended up um, basically getting paid up when the new manager came. Um, I said, look, just get paid up. I'll go back home. Mm
0: -hmm. That's when I went back
1: home to, um, back up here to 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 Wilmslow Manchester kind of area
0: so with all of that in mind do you feel like it would be easier for a footballer who is islamic to play nowadays yeah i mean w- with your work with the association of muslim footballers are you are you hearing that from the players that are playing nowadays that there's more understanding about the the faith and in terms of like how that does or doesn't affect their footballing ability?
1: I think um, the the job has been done now. I think um, when these players came in, um, you know, you're the striker at Chelsea. Um, you had about five players at Newcastle. You know, you had loads of players come through. Um, they were all Muslim and, and lots of them. Now Salah, is, um, Salah Mane, all these boys are all Muslim. They all pray. They all fast. They all do whatever. But they've, they're, they're at the top of their game. So now the door's open. It doesn't matter now. It's the norm for everyone. But back then, it wasn't the norm. And we had to make it the norm. And obviously, I've been one of the guys who probably has to take the, the brunt of most of it. But um, at least now, people coming through, they don't need to think about that. They can continue trying to get to the top of their game and, and still not have to let go of their religious um, beliefs or you know duties so yeah that's that's the whole point of what we did with amf and um that's why we don't really have much to have to do now we don't do much now but we did we were quite active um them years back then talking and you know bringing people together and making sure that people know that it's um it's okay it's okay
0: yeah well that's really good yeah. to hear um so the rest of your career so you, say so you, so you went up to was it Derby? You went Cruz. back to it was Crew. So yeah, no, Derby cr-
1: was in between. Yeah, Derby was just before I went to um, again at Derby. So that was my second year at Watford. After that, I went to Paul Jewell there, and I was on fire there. Mm. I did really well. Um, he put me back in the starting lineup. I was playing. I got the odd few niggles. I was top scoring in the cup. Um, we 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 beat Stoke in the cup. To get to the semi-finals, we had Man United in the semi-finals. I had nine goals, and this was just before Christmas time, around October time. I had nine goals in the, in that season. Um, I just picked up a slight hamstring strain, but we got um, Paul Jewell got sacked, um, and a uh, new manager came in. Because I was on loan there, he saw me as the person who can get rid of. I was absolutely playing the best football of my life in training, training like the best. Even his own coach said, I'll go back to him and tell him again exactly how good you've been. But he wanted to basically tell me it's not your football that's not getting you in the side. But um, I was coming home every day going, wow, I feel amazing. Like mm. he used to do small-sided games, 5 every day. And that's like a, a football player's dream to do it every day, every session. Because he didn't used to do anything to do with tactical work. He used to get a piece of paper, put our names on the sheet, there was a starting line up on the bench and put it on the wall. That was it for match day. No technical, wow. no tactical, nothing. But the five sides made you real sharp, okay? So I was so sharp, destroying everyone in training, but I was calling my agent saying, no one can see me, though. I'm just training. No one can see this, what I can do. And now I know that they've got it in their mind to just get rid of me at the end of the year. It's another year of my life going to be gone and when I speak, when you speak to another manager, they're going to say, what's he done? What's he been doing for the last this mm. amount of time? And that amount of time. So that's what was also on top. And then it became a problem because I'm on a certain amount of um, um, contract money and I'm not playing so much. So if I move to another club, am I going to get the same kind of money? Are they going to take the risk on paying the same kind of money for a player who hasn't been playing a certain amount of time? And there's me feeling great knowing that I'm ama- I'm feeling amazing at playing the best football of my life, but I can't show it to anyone. And everyone's thinking, where's Nathan? They don't see my name in the newspaper anymore every week. So it was a killer. Um, and I don't feel like I'm being biased towards myself in any way. Like I really felt I was really, really feeling the best of my, of my life. If you look at highlights of the Derby times, I was really good. I've got four <laughs> games where I watch them back now and I'm like, I'm really happy with that, you know. Uh, The only time where I can say where I didn't really play well was at Watford. And I probably should have scored the odd few more goals at Ipswich when coming off the bench. I missed a few, but that probably would have gave me a chance to state my claim in the starting lineup. But apart from that, I was always the same Nathan Ellington throughout the whole of my other career. I didn't get any big injuries. Nothing changed. But playing regularly... And playing for managers who believe in you was a main, a, a main difference to mm. me and my career. So, nightmare in the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it just sounds like a real downward sp- spiral. You kind of get out of the team for whatever reason and you eloquently spoke about a few of those. And then once you're out of the team... Other teams see that and then may not want to take the chance on you. And then with the wages, it just sounds like it's just kind of the momentum's going in the the wrong direction almost.
1: It's actually like a roller coaster, you know, when you're going way up high and then you get mm. way down. That's like how my career was. It went straight up, you know, and then all of a sudden it's bang, right back to the bottom again. So I'm probably one of the only players to have played all of the leagues. Uh, in every league in the country, on the way up and on the way back down. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's quite an interesting one, actually, isn't it? So, you, so you had spells um, with Scumfork, Crew. So, so yeah. were they both in League One? Those those yeah. clubs, and yeah. then and then after that, Southport in in the Conference for a bit.
1: Yeah, I played with them non-league on a non-contract situation. Um, basically, I was I was due to go out to Thailand um in january the january coming up and it was probably about october november time i think it was about october and um the manager called me and said listen i, w- I want you to come down and play But i was like well um because that was a time when i left crew at the end of that season so let me just rewind back i went to crew first um just to train um but i played in like an under 21s game and i scored and then for the next 10 under-21 games on a row, I kept scoring every game. He's like, you're a goal machine, aren't you? You, you? We need to sign you. So they signed me up on a little deal to the end of the season. Said, so, look, just sign, you know, just, just put you in the squad and have that extra player in. I said, yeah, no problem. That's fine. Uh, this is a great football. Um, you guys play some amazing stuff. I've learned some stuff now at the end of my career that I never learned anywhere else um, because Dario Gradi and the way he plays and stuff, all these kids are learning this way of playing. And I'm like, wow, this is even actually enjoyable. Even <laughs> as a striker on my own up front, crew was a great place to play. But I ended up getting a groin um, injury. Um, so I ended up at the end of that season, I had no contract left because it was only to the end of the season. But they allowed me to get fit under them once I had my Gilmore groin surgery done. And um, I got really fit, but they already obviously had done their plans for the next season. And they told me that Scumf- uh, Southport... Um, Obviously, they're the ones who told me that Southport were interested. And I was thinking, should I go there? Because if I'm going to go to Thailand, is that going to scupper my chances? Because it's looking like I'm going down to conference from championship and then I'm going over to Thailand. So they're going to see on my resume that I'm down to the conference now. Will mm-hmm. like, that kill my chances of getting a good deal over there? Um, so I went there anyway. He says, look, just come. Um sign on non-contract if you don't like it just don't come back so I was like you know what why not you know let's just go down there um get match fit play some games try and get some goals and uh, and then and then take it from there go to Thailand and um so I went there did pretty well uh picked up a slight I think I picked up some kind of injury um little injury not anything big but the chairman, uh, the player, the manager actually offered me um, an opportunity to be player manager, not uh, player manager, uh, a coach as well. So player coach, um, with him. And um, I was thinking, wow, this would be a great opportunity to kind of transition away from football as well. Maybe I should do this, you know? And uh, then he gets a sack. Um, so then the new manager comes in and he sees who's not on contract. I'm not a contracted player. I'm just a player playing on the books. So he straight away is like, okay, well. And at the time, I'm. it's about to be the time for, to go to Thailand anyway. So I ended up leaving there and um, going to Thailand. Um, so, yeah, it was, um went to Thailand and that was a whole mess. And the uh, manager got sacked on the day I was there as well. Um, new manager came in from Croatia. Um, he's like, I'm bringing in my own players, all these trialists, these 20 trialists who come on the day anyway. I'm I'm there amongst 20 trialists. And I'm um, being told that, um, yeah, that he's got his own players he's going to be bringing in. So off we go. So then I ended up on a few spells in, um, I went to, from Thailand, I went to Indonesian team. Then I went from Indonesian team to a team in Brunei. Then I went from a team in Brunei, um, I played in Indonesia against this team from Malaysia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did really well on the team from Malaysia on their way back, they wanted to take me with them. <laughs> so I went back with them to Malaysia and um, I played for a few weeks. Every game I played, I scored. I did really well. Scored some of the best goals I ever scored. But um, they were just dragging it out, waiting to sign um, for the... I don't know. They, they, they have loads of, like, Brazilians who come over from, and just knock on the doors and come for trials and stuff. And um, they were like, we've got to wait and see what comes through the door before we make our decision. And they put me up in a hotel for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, they wanted me to stay in an apartment with these guys, and their apartment was not livable they had, it's just the most disgusting place ever. And it's like rodents in that and apartments as well. I'm like, I can't stay in these kind of places. I can't live with cockroaches and stuff. I can't do it. So I went back to the hotel for another week training. And I was like, listen, you guys got to make a decision. I'm going home. I ended up just getting on the plane, going back home. I said, I'm not sitting around here messing around. And, um, that's how it really ended. I ended up going back to Thailand for the second time. Mm. And, um, Within one day, my missus calls me saying she's not feeling well. Um, She can't handle looking after the kids. I've got to come back. I've thought i just got here. But the mad thing is, is I got there and guess what happens? The the
0: manager gets... Oh, no. I mean, you've (laughs) not had the (laughs) best of luck, have you, Nath?
1: (laughs) What happens is my old teammate, Shelton Martis, he was playing there. He was from West Brom at the time. Um, So he was already playing in Thailand telling me it's all right. It's all right here. Um, So I was having a chat with him and then the manager got sacked. But then... The, the guy who brought me over the agent he says listen i'm in there with the whole club so whoever comes in it's not a problem you'll be you'll you get to sign but because missus wasn't well i had to come back and that was the end of my career from then because i came back um, we were trying to get assorted for quite a while and i couldn't train anymore because i was looking after the whole family and everything doing all the errands and stuff and ended up losing my fitness and then i couldn't get back to i was like that's it now i'm not going to go and do anything so career just stopped there it was finished there and then so the mad mad ending
0: yeah so Uh, what a career I mean you used a great analogy there it's like a roller coaster so you really worked your way up got up to the the prem and what a meteoric rise it was (laughs) and then yeah maybe some some bad luck and maybe if the stars had aligned in a different way (laughs) as you spoke about could have been at the Prem a bit longer, you had that great record there. But I mean, yeah. what, what a great career, Nathan. It's been fascinating hearing about it. Or What what are you up to nowadays then?
1: I've got a couple of things now. As always, it's been a few years since I stopped playing. So I tried, tried through trial and error a lot, a lot of things. Uh, I've managed to open up a football academy now. Uh, so we have an academy in Black. We're looking after a few players as well. So some of the players are at a good level. So we've we've taken them on to represent them. So it's kind of, it's like an agent as well. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's more geared towards helping them in their football as well, being able to give them more than just advice mm. um, off the field, but on the field as well. Um, so we're building that gradually. So we've got the academy and the representation, two things growing. So one's pre-pro academy. And the other one is one stop ma- um, um, sports management. So we've got these, these both things growing now um, together. And at the same time, I've decided um, a few years ago to really try and become a professional trader as well. So, um, you know, Forex trading, like current trades. So oh, wow. I've been um, wow. working really hard with that and I'm very close to getting something big going with that as well. So, yes, um, I'm uh, working hard on a lot of fronts, to be honest, and making sure. I build the foundations for it hopefully in the near future for them all to really blossom into something big.
0: Well, Nathan Duke Ellington, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really interesting to hear about your time at Rovers and, and your career as a whole. I mean, it's been fascinating to listen to, and it's been great to chat to a fellow Duke. So, Nathan, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your time. It was enjoyable.